just going to do a quick prayer tonight um, for not only the service but for the world that we live in. And so I ask you all to just close your eyes as I pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that we can come here tonight, that we can take time out from our busy lives to spend time with you and to come into your arms and spend time in your house with other people who love you, Lord. It's a real privilege. Uh, we pray for places where this may not be possible in the world and we're going to hear a bit more about that later on tonight. But thank you so much for your amazing love that we can come into your house tonight. Lord, we want to give you thanks for the rain that we've had over the past couple of days. That's really an answer to your answer to prayer and we really thank you for the rain and just the amazing healing power that it has and we pray that the more will be on the way soon and we know that we really need it in this country and in this area, Lord, so we just would love some more rain. But yes, thank you for, for what has been sent so far. We also thank you for um, Hospitality Sunday that was held today and for people who went into people's homes and people who were welcomed and who shared meals and who laughed together and told stories. And we just thank you for um, the ability of the people in this church, for your people to, um, to get together and to enjoy time together. So we thank you for that, Lord. We also pray for what's going on in the world at the moment, where there's tensions, where there's trouble and where there's hurt and where people are being persecuted, where they are being come after in your name. So we pray for, for those Australian troops who are fighting at the moment, for um, Sergeant Matthew Locke and his family who has recently died in Afghanistan. We pray for them and we pray your blessing over their family. And also for people in America who have been affected by fires in Southern California, we pray for um, that those fires will soon come under control in your name and that people will be safe and homes will be safe. Um, we also pray for um, people in our congregation who have been unwell or sick as of late, um, who are recovering from illness, who might be feeling better or who might just be coming down with it. We just pray for them, Lord, and we just pray your healing hand will come upon them. We pray that they'll know the comfort of your love and your peace and that we as a congregation might be able to support them as well and to show them that we love them. Um, we thank you for small groups and for being able to come together and to encourage one another and for this ability of the church to look after each other in times of celebration and also in times of sadness that we can be here for one another. And we pray for understanding, love and acceptance of all and during this time where it gets busy for uni students, for people who are working, we pray your blessing and love will come upon them as well tonight. And we pray for the rest of the service, that it will all come together as you want and as you wish, and that everything that we do here tonight will be in the glory for you. Amen. There we go. <laughs> I just want to say thank you for a start um, for giving James and I the opportunity to share with you. As a lot of you will probably be aware, um, a team of five of us came back from Africa about six weeks ago and James and I are just briefly giving a bit of an overview, so a few thoughts and um, of what we experienced and how we are supposed to processing that. So please also be aware that Gail Hill, Mark Docking and Nicole Campbell went as well. And if you ever get a chance to talk to them about it, that would be... Um, great to get a bit more of an idea of what happened. But James and I are sharing, and I'm broken into, I'll be speaking about Malawi and he's speaking about Kenya. So Malawi, we spent eight days with the GIA team of us Aussie missionaries in Mangochi, Malawi. 
who are working to bring the good news of salvation in Christ to the Yao people. And I think many of you have heard of the Yao people, but who are they and why are the GIA team focusing on them? Well, the Yao people are a marginalised subpopulation of Malawi. They're set apart from the rest of Malawi, mainly by the fact that they are Muslim. Historically, this has caused division and conflict, leading to the fact that they are now marginalised, poverty-stricken, and up only till a few years ago, unreached by the gospel. Islam within Malawi is rapidly spreading. It's aggressively pursuing the complete Islamization of southern Malawi, with huge amounts of money and training being poured into the Yao population. Every couple of k's, like this one here, we saw mosques and Islamic schools being built. Islam is a dominant force, and historically attempts from Christians to reach the Yao people have failed due to this Islamic context. Traditional forms of missionary work, such as building churches, erecting crosses, demanding repentance and turning away from their cultural practices, has only caused conflict and division between the Yao and Christians. Therefore, the work of which the GIA team is doing is very difficult and requires much thought, sensitivity and innovation. Another aspect of the Yao people group that makes the outreach so difficult is the fact that they're poor. They live in extreme poverty. What struck us hard was that they have no choices. They're unable to choose what they'll eat for breakfast or whether they'll eat at all. No choice for whether they'll go to school or study or whether they'll even have an education at all. No choice to whether they'll have a private health insurance or not, even the basic health care at all. They literally have no choices and they work extremely hard just to survive. As a result, their health is extremely poor. Death and sickness are an everyday occurrence for the average Yao villager. One in four children die before they reach four years and life expectancy for the adult is 37 years. But amongst all this poverty, fear and desperation, the Yao people have a strong desire to know more of God. Their Islamic culture gives them a deep conviction to live as God has called them and their physical hunger and pains are, some, are strengthening their hunger for God. They're ready to respond to the, to the message of God's grace. And this, as we're sharing, is possible because Jesus is amongst the Yao people, revealing himself through the missionary work that the faithful GIA team in Mangochi are doing. So who are these people? The GIA missionaries are just a bunch of ordinary Aussies. They've responded with commitment to Jesus' final call and command to make disciples of all nations. The Wilmot family, John and Angela here and their kids, five of them adopted and two of them of their biological they have had enormous struggle when they first arrived. As John told us, when he came to Malawi, he was young and enthusiastic. He had all the greatest plans, hopes and dreams, and he was going to make a huge difference as soon as he landed off the plane. But instead, through a few horrible experiences early on and through lots of big mistakes, he struggled with depression and confusion for his first two years. But God used those first couple of years to refine them and to pre prepare them for his work, as a result, John has learned how to package the gospel in a sensitive way and in a powerful way for reaching the Islamic people. There's the Gerben family, his Scott and his two children. They've been there for eight years now, him and his wife Catherine. And John spends most of his day riding his bike around to villages, building strong relationships with the Yao, speaking Chiao almost fluently, which is their language. If it weren't for the colour of his skin, you'd almost mistake him for one of them. The Gervins have not missed out on suffering. They've battled enormously as well from losing a young child and with Catherine spending many long days on her own teaching the children without the close support of family or, or a church nearby. 
For despite, again, the huge sacrifices they've made, the humble and strong commitment they have to the work has laid a strong foundation for furthering the gospel amongst the Yale. Then we have Robin Hughes here. She's a single lady who's made a commitment to spend 10 years in Malawi. Her heart to see the lost come to Christ and her passion to improve the health and education of the impoverished. Having only spent one year, though, in Malawi so far, God's certainly been teaching her some difficult lessons. She spent a large chunk of last year being unwell and has struggled a lot with learning the language and being a part of a team that is mainly male-dominated. But we were deeply encouraged by her strength of character and her faith to remain in such a difficult place. She's looking forward to spend some time building relationships with the Our Women and to bring a fresh perspective to the outreach. And finally, we have Ben Good. Ben's a 21-year-old Aussie boy from Perth. He's made a courageous and you might think almost crazy decision to live amongst the GIA team and the Yao people. He's, to jump, he's jumped in literally into the deep, into the Yao culture. He's learning the language and he's following the missions around, allowing himself to be stretched and challenged. And when you ask God to challenge you, he certainly does that. In fact, the only, he's only been there four months and he's had to face many challenges and um, challenges beyond his years, such as death of his friends and close by to him and the loneliness of being a, sing, a single bloke across the seas from the family and all that he knows. But God is gracious and kind, and Ben is being shaped into a strong, faithful, and fun-loving man of God. So you can see the Aussie team is just an ordinary bunch of Aussies. There's nothing special or more gifted than we are. But their love for God and are compelled by his love for them to see others come to know him. Through their faithfulness, God is developing rich fruit amongst the Yao. So just briefly on what they're doing, the focus to reach the Yao has been twofold, to bring physical relief and spiritual relief. First of all, total life care is, has been developed to assist improving the impoverished physical circumstances, to improve their health, nutrition, livestock, food availability, environment and advocacy for the Yao people, and they're just to name a few. We spent a day looking and learning about the holistic approach TLC is providing. And here's one example of rabbits, but there are other uh, villages which are also learning about chickens and goats. So they introduced a new livestock. Um, they taught how to tend for them and breed them, and are then taught how to use them to improve their nutrition and their levels of protein in their diet. The next is there's a traditional birth attendants have, are being trained to decrease the risk of a death of the mother and baby at birth. There's also new programs being established to improve the services and care for those with disabilities within the villages. There are plantations and gardens established to, to increase the food availability, but also villages are trained to grow and increase the variety of different foods for their diet. There's reforestation. The villages are educated and provided with seedlings to reforest to be able to improve the care, um, to improve and care for the environment, particularly for the coming generations. These strategies have not only helped to improve the people's physical health, but through education and training, it's empowered them to be more self-sufficient and has improved the unity amongst villagers as they work together on these projects. But the essence of the work of the GIA team is to help build, um, the, help the our community develop their own distinctive way of following Jesus. This has involved um, mainly in developing personal relationships with the people and as a are therefore allowing their hearts to be changed. And this has been done through what they call life groups, as pictured here, which has initially um, been John and Scott been teaching about Jesus 
through storytelling, but more recently local leaders are also taking over that role in presenting God to the Islamic people. The ongoing challenge, though, is to develop local believers into leaders, to teach and train them in God's word and discipleship so that the Yao may develop into their own distinctive faith community, sustained and strengthened without the Aussies being there. So overall, this trip was amazing. It taught us how to see Jesus amongst the poorest and the destitute. Jesus has brought life and joy to those who are dying, and the Yao people are feasting on the bread of life. Jesus is speaking to Islamic people and freeing them from the bondages of Islamic law. He's strengthening the faithful. He's revealing his grace and his character to the Aussies who are working in such hard conditions. And it makes me wonder why we here in Australia struggle to see Jesus. Why are we so often dissatisfied and doubt and question God in almost everything? In our wealth, are we feeding on the wrong things? Are we not hungry for the bread of life? because we're full from all our possessions and rich choices in life. Throughout the trip, we kept remembering the the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he must do to gain eternal life. He had everything, and yet he considered something was missing. He recognised this. Even though he was morally good in every way, he was still unsure and questioned whether there was something he must do to see Jesus. Jesus recognised what he lacked. He had everything, and he kept it for himself. This is what it says in Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I've learned that we are the rich young ruler. Jesus is not speaking to the Paris Hiltons and the James Packers. We are the richest people in the world and we're clinging on to what we have which is limiting us from, what, from Jesus, um, following Jesus. We don't, not only have more than all the material possessions or money that we need, but that we're most resourced and trained in knowing and teaching God's words. We're loaded with professional skills and we're using these to build up ourselves and our own nation. But could we be using what we have more for the building of God's kingdom throughout the world instead of ourselves? The key to what Jesus said, I think, is not just give to the poor, but come, follow me. Where did Jesus go? Well, he went to Jerusalem where he gave up his life so you and I could come to know him. He's asking us to follow him down that path of suffering. Following Jesus will involve giving up things. This is not optional. But the reward for us is far greater than the price we pay. As Jesus said later, the last will be first. Are we willing to follow Jesus to where he went, such as those who have gone in the GI team? If we go to where Jesus met, if not so, if so, if we go, not only will we receive treasure in heaven, but many more will be there with us too because of our faithful following of Jesus. Carolyn, you can hear me all right. Caribou. Thank you. Thank you, Mark, for rescuing me. It's not a large Canadian moose, it's actually welcome in Swahili, caribou. But before we go on, I'll just let you on a little secret. Um, Most pastors' wives are actually much better preachers than they are. You probably see this tonight in my marriage. But don't tell anyone that because heads could roll. Welcome to Kenya. Land of beautiful, wide open African savannah, wild safaris, Untamed African wildlife in abundance, 
and stomach churning poverty. To be blunt, Nairobi is a shocking city. There's contrasts that just stagger my imagination. There's injustice and inequality that I just cannot comprehend with my Australian way of life, which is fair-minded and prosperous. Systemic poverty just seems to go on forever in Nairobi, just mile after mile of it. To be fair, though, there's kind of many parts of Nairobi that are uh, reminiscent of the colonial era Africa you might see in movies or in tourism brochures. But I also saw some of the most confronting sights I could ever imagine, and I witnessed people living and dying in conditions worse than I could ever imagine. You're seeing some photos of those places as I speak tonight, but the photos barely even represent the reality. The noise, the pollution, the awful smell that pervades everywhere you go. Not even a video would be anywhere really enough to be able to grasp it. Millions of displaced people with no other options in life but to just scrounge together whatever building materials they can and put up a shack so they can keep the heat off and the rain out. So many people, in fact, that there's entire slum cities within Nairobi that some children never leave until they grow up. This one here is Korogocho. It's one of the largest slum cities on the entire continent of Africa. Half a million people on 65 acres of land. Imagine growing up in this neighbourhood. These kids don't play video games to keep themselves entertained. And the phrase disposable income just does not have any meaning here. I bought a cup of coffee yesterday, but for the same price I could have fed the little boy for a week. I guess um, it can be a bit helpless, and at this point you might be feeling a bit like the situation's hopeless. I know when I was there a lot I felt like it was hopeless. But then God promises in Isaiah 52 something which really stands out to me while I walk through the slums of Nairobi. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. I was reminded that Jesus walks with the people of Korogocho every day. The bottom of his robe drags through the mud and the slush and the human feces that run down the street. He spends his day talking with people who are dying from AIDS and he eats meals in houses that are barely bigger than your laundry. Jesus rescues people from this place every day and gives them a home in eternity. Because Korogocho is the end of the earth. And the people in this place have seen the salvation of our God. However, Salvation sometimes takes the form of a normal-looking Kenyan bloke. His name is Stephen Vengi, and we spent our time in Kenya travelling around, Ni- around Nairobi with our friends from African Enterprise. Now, African Enterprise, or AE, as it's more commonly known, is a non-denominational evangelism and development agency. In other words, it's a missionary organisation. And the Kenyan staff who minister in there They're modern-day missionaries. They're not Kenya's equivalent of Billy Graham or John Stott or Phil Weeks. They're just normal Kenyans. They're not super evangelists. Three of the staff we met 
who I don't have a photo of all of them, but Janet's uh, there in the purple top. Three of the staff we met were Stephen Bogo, Janet Mwendwa and Stephen Vengi. There's many more staff who we met that I don't have time to tell you about. Some of them are named Stephen as well. They're ordinary men and women following the simple command of Jesus given in Mark chapter 8. If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me continually. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. I learned that this is not an optional command given to the cream of the Christian crop. Stephen, Janet and Stephen taught me that these are um, normal commands that by denying my own selfish aspirations for my life and what I think I deserve and following Jesus, I learned the baseline criteria for every Christian. You and I are missionaries. All day, every day, twice on Sundays, whether we like it or not. My king didn't die for me so that I could have a nice life and upgrade my car every two years. Jesus died so that I would follow him all my life as he leads me into eternity. And being a missionary means that I will help others to follow him too. Religion is about singing a few nice songs on Sundays. But Jesus asks more than that. He asks us to be missionaries. He asks us to use our whole life every day to reach out to others so that they can know the king personally. It's a slow process, and I'm on that slow process of losing my life for the king. And as we listen to Paul in a few moments speak on mission, I just want to leave you with a couple of questions. How are you going with the mission? How are you going losing your life so that you can follow the king? Thank you, James, and thank you to the Malawi team who brings a little bit of that into this church building so we can be getting a little bit cranky about that. <clears throat> maybe move to action. Paul's going to come and speak with us now. He's going to be yeah. our, that's like a first sermon. <laughs> this is like the next one with Paul. Hey. Um, Paul. It's been working. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, okay, I'm great. Um, <laughs> so Paul is a fifth year medical student, um, University of New South Wales, been doing a placement um, in Albury, Wodonga, for the last, coming up in your, closing out your second year, pretty much, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You were going to stay one year, and then we went, sucked you in, and you're here for another year, which is brilliant. Uh, he's got a passion for mission. He's got a passion for just loving people, writing injustice in the world. Uh, and this uh, coming summer break, Paul's going over with Interserve, a mission organisation, to Nepal, or Nepal, because that sounds better because it rhymes with your name. Um, <laughs> going to Nepal and just... Seeking to be obedient, that's what you're doing. Yes. Um, which is absolutely brilliant. And um, if you want to talk more to Paul, chat with him more after the service. But I'm going to pray for Paul as he opens the word of God for us this evening. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would 
continue to break our heart with the things that break yours. Uh, Lord, just keep us from just kind of talking it up and move us into action. And right now we pray that you would use Paul, your servant, as your mouthpiece. May grant him peace and your words to encourage us to love you, God, to know your love and just to love people in the world. We thank you for him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, she's still my talk. <laughs> this is cool. Okay, so um, you guys are really getting a big whack about mission tonight, which is, you know, ah, joy for you. So uh, <laughs> I, I really just want to explain to you all that mission isn't something which we do overseas. Mission is life. Mission is Christianity. Mission is how we live our lives and being a light unto the world. And the first thing I just want to talk about really is just how much um, <laughs> the real situation in the world is so far from what we really experience in our lives. Karen, <laughs> stop. <laughs> anyway, um, I just need to kind of... I don't know if you guys really have a passion for social justice, but I watch SBS News um, most nights, and it usually makes me really angry. I get so frustrated because so much happens, which is just so horrifying, and yet so many people don't know about it. It never makes a commercial news. We have all these nice, vacuous, trivial stories about, you know, broken park benches and a kitten stuck up the tree or, you know, something about the election and, oh, our terrible healthcare system and, you know, fair pay for nurses and things like this, which, you know, seem important to us, but in the grand scheme of things, pale into insignificance compared to the poverty around the world. So I want to draw your attention just to, if someone turns over the next slide, I don't know how to do that for them, um, that... 1.1 billion people live in extreme poverty. That's one in six people in the world, a whole billion. And that is less than one dollar a day. One US dollar, you spend that, you drop that, you don't even think about it. Like, if I get change in a dollar, I think, well, how can I get rid of these coins? Because it's like making my wallet fat. Um, <laughs> you know, it's nothing to us. It's $7 a week, it's $365 in a year. 800 million people get a bit hungry every day, and then 18 million people, almost the population of Australia, die every year due to poverty-related causes. And to give you some examples of this, these are things like TB, which kills 2.5 million people a year. This is something which can be cured with antibiotics. It's something which is so easy to treat. Why don't we do something about this? Nine million people die from starvation. If we just fed the people, they would live. That's nine million people. It just makes me so angry. And I just really want everyone to really know that what you see on television, the nice shiny lives that we live in Australia, is so different to what the rest of the world lives. These deaths are preventable. And they're exceedingly preventable. And the next slide shows a picture of someone who is starving to death. And when someone looks like that, when someone is that hungry, they don't live. That person will die. You know, even if this person gets medical care, the chances are that girl will die. It's awful. Now, we have poverty in Australia, but it's just nothing at all like it. So on the next slide, I'll show you. Poverty, we talk about poverty in Australia in terms of relative poverty, and um, that's to do with 
you're having half the level of income of what the average person actually earns. And so in Australia, that's $357, and that's considered to be the poverty line. And if you are on a Centrelink budget, which many of us as students are, and don't do any part-time work at all, you probably only get $264 a week, including rent assistance. And this is considered the bare minimum. And then when you add it up, over the year, it works out to be $12,355. Now, if you go to the Global Rich List, it ranks you in the world in terms of how much money you have. And all of us are above the top 13%, because if you're the poorest person in Australia, you're in the top 13% in terms of wealth in this world. If you have a job that pays well, a $50,000 a year job, then you're in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. You have so much money, we're exceedingly rich. We have absolutely no idea what it means to be poor. When we're poor, we don't buy new clothes. Or maybe we just buy every now and then. But the extreme poor go without food day after day after day after day. They don't live in homes with the, you know, oh, the rental crisis and the terrible, terrible housing crisis we have. You look at the size of the homes in outer Melbourne and it just makes me shake my head. You know, I'm sure there's a crisis because we can't afford to have six-bedroom homes for families of three. But these people live in cardboard boxes. When it rains, they get wet. They don't have changes of clothes. And when they wash them, they wash them in filthy water. And they drink water that's diseased. We are not middle-class Australia. We are upper-class. We are excessively wealthy. We have so much money, we can waste it. And we do. And I'm so guilty. I'm as guilty as everyone. You know, I, I know I, I spend money on all sorts of ridiculous things. And we can imagine that we need them or that we want them because we cannot see this level of poverty. It doesn't matter how far we look unless you go outside of Australia. Even in the Aboriginal communities in Central Australia, there is a lot of poverty there, but it pales in comparison to Africa. I just want to show the next picture. Just to reinforce the point, you can see Australia is dark green. Now, the Human Development Index doesn't measure how rich we are as such, but rather how well off we are in terms of education, health and wealth. It measures those together. And so because we have a good social welfare system in Australia, we're better off than the USA in terms of how well off we are. And we're so well off that we're ranked third in the world. Only two nations are better off than us on the Human Development Index, and that is Norway and Iceland. Norway with... Europe's largest oil reserves and Iceland, with almost unlimited electricity, have better off, you know, lives than us. But we're just after them. We're way ahead of the USA and the UK. It's amazing. And you look at Africa down there. That's the only continent which has gone backwards. They are poorer than they were 20 years ago. People live shorter lives. HIV-AIDS have, have cut the life expectancy in some nations from 70 years to 35. In, in some of the southern African nations, one in three people have AIDS. That means one in three people are dying because they don't get antiretrovirals. The enormity of poverty and its consequences is astounding. So I don't really want people to get depressed by this or overwhelmed but rather just to get this perspective of where we really are in the world and how much we have and how blessed we are and what we're given is not for ourselves. 
So I just want people to get, just, you know, to feel the frustration that I feel when you watch the news and you just, you just don't see anything. You see something about Ben Cousins or whatever, and you're like, who cares? I don't care. It's sport. Whatever. <laughs> like, you know, sport is great, you know, good for your fitness and health, but, you know, it's not going to save people who are dying from poverty. So um, I want you all to turn to Philippians 2. Okay. So Philippians 2, verse 1 to 18. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and on the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. It's an amazing passage. It's both encouraging and challenging. Then it says, if you have any encouragement at all, if you know the love of God and if you participate in the Holy Spirit, if you have any affection and sympathy at all, you will be united in just one thing. God loves you so much that despite your sinfulness, despite our inadequacy and our pride, he's given his only son to die for us so that we don't get what we deserve. We don't get our punishment. We're so blessed to know the love of God and that which he has given us. And if you know this love of God, this unconditional love, he asks you that you would show that same love, that same love which he has given to you, he wants you to give to others. The love of Jesus Christ, which is spelt out here, right before you, the love of Jesus Christ, that he humbled himself, even though he was God, he humbled himself to become a man, and even more, to become a servant of man. And then even more, he humbled himself until the point that he died. He humbled himself to obey his father and to do what God wanted him to do. He received the punishment that we deserved. And there is just no greater way that someone could ever show love to one another. 
the greatest thing you could ever do for a person to show your love is to die for them. There is no greater way to be humble than to consider so much for um, someone else's interests above your own that you die. There is no greater way to obey someone than to obey to the point of death. It says in John 15, 9 to 13, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he's laid down his life for his friends. If you know the love of Jesus, then you will show that love. You will obey what he's saying. This huge and self-sacrificing love, it's not love out of convenience. It's not love because you love me or because I think you're attractive or because you're a cool person. It's love. It's love even though it hurts. It says the same thing, Philippians 2. Verses 2 to 4, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same love, being in one accord of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. Like Jesus did, he gave up his whole life. We are to do the same thing. We are asked to give up everything to offer ourselves in complete obedience to what he wants you to do with your life. There is no sacrifice that you could make that is too great. There is nothing that you could not give up. We cannot imagine this. We cannot imagine this level of love. In the pursuit of showing this kind of love, you could never give enough. I don't want you to feel burdened by this because... No one can show this kind of love. But God has promised us that he resides in us. He gives the gift of the Holy Spirit so that his love dwells in us. The less we think of ourselves, the less we love ourselves, the more of the love of God that resides in us. And so that gives us a supernatural ability to actually show this self-sacrificing love. It says that in verses 12 and 13 from Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Sell so now, not only in my absence, um, presence, but rather in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's the will of God. It's God being in you that you're able to do these things. Jesus made this promise before he died. He promised the Holy Spirit, and he says, when it will be in you, you will shine like stars in this world, in this depraved generation in this world where people spend and spend and spend and consume on themselves you have the strength to shine like stars in the universe it says verse 14 16 do all things without grumbling without questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without a blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that you would shine like stars that's what mission is It's not about going overseas. It's not about working in an orphanage or a hospital or preaching the gospel, although those things fall underneath the the umbrella of mission. The heart of mission is so much more simple. It's just about being a light in a dark world. It's about being the light of Jesus. It's about knowing his love so much that you show that in everything that you do. That is mission. 
It's mission here and it's mission there. It's mission wherever God wants you to go. It's about being that shining example. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. You will know what God's will is if you give up yourself and live for him. The more of your life, the more of your ambitions you give up for God, the more that you're available for God, the more he will use you for his will. Now, it's not my expectation that everyone here would be so mission-hearted that you are ready right now to give up everything that you have and to run off overseas or to go to Bible college. It's not reasonable to expect that everyone would be at that level of maturity. But at the very least, you need to have your eyes fixed on God, on the love of Jesus and the love that he's shown you and just walk towards that. If you're not there yet, that's fine. Just keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you have your eyes on Jesus, you won't be able to help yourself, but you will just shine the light of Jesus. But just so you know where you're headed, Jesus wants you to follow him, follow him in every sense of that word, to live a life exactly like he did. And when he said that, he meant it. So the last things I want to mention are just some of the ways that people avoid their responsibility. People have ideas about how we're going to serve, but there's quite a few different cop-outs, and I just want to mention some of them. One is that ministry is done by the minister, and the pastoral care is all done by the pastor. The work of the church is done by the people that are paid to do that work so that I don't have to do it. That's not true. It's not true at all. We are all responsible here. As members of this church, we are, the church is the people and we all have a responsibility to shine the light of Jesus. No one person is more important than the other. You have all been gifted from God with something that he wants you to do. And you can all contribute and all of you have the ability to contribute in a meaningful way. You cannot just leave it all to Phil or to John. You cannot leave it all to them because with a church of this size, they could not possibly meet everyone's needs. They need hundreds of volunteers just to serve the needs of this church, let alone the community out there. We live in a city of people who don't know Jesus Christ. We need a whole army of people if we're going to shine that light. So we cannot just leave it all to the people that are paid to do it for us. The other thing is that people think, well, I'm going to work for money so that I can give money to the church, and that's the way that I'm going to serve God. And, and that's sometimes true, but most of the time it isn't true. I think most of the time, if you really examine yourself, you realise this is you, you're deceiving yourself by thinking this. Because if you can honestly imagine that right now, the income that you have is all that you need, and that you're living quite comfortably, which I can guarantee you all are, if you were to imagine that you doubled your income, how much more would you spend on the church? Would you give all of it away? Because if you can think that you would, then perhaps you working for money would be a justifiable thing. But that's not what happens. 
People give 10% before and they give 10% afterwards. It gives them more disposable income to spend on themselves. And it just further makes this gap between the rich and the poor even more enormous. If we know this, how can we live like this? We're not to conform to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed. To be transformed, we cannot do that anymore and we cannot deceive ourselves to think we're going to work for money because most of the time we don't. It's a temptation, it's a seduction from this world. It's a materialist seduction, but please don't fall for it. The other thing people imagine is that God wants me here to Australia, where I am, what I'm doing right now. This is where God wants me to be. But I say, how do you know that? If you aren't completely surrendered to God, if you aren't willing to give up everything, how can you be sure that you're not just comfortable where you are, you enjoy the job that you have and the pay that you have, you enjoy the situation where you are, and so you're unwilling to give it up. God may want you to go somewhere else, but if you aren't willing to give it up, you will never know. If you cannot surrender to God, all those aspects of your life, you'll never go anywhere. If God wants you to go to Africa, you won't go there if you don't surrender your life to him. And the last thing people say is, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted. I'm not smart. And, and that is true. You're not good enough, and neither am I, and no one's ever good enough. But that doesn't stop us from giving ourselves in service. As broken as you are, as inadequate as you are, God can use you for his glory. And the more humble you are, the more he can use you. So count your weaknesses a blessing because that will just enable you to trust in God and what he can do through you to accomplish his will. And, and that's all you need. So I just want us all to think, you know, what, what are you doing with your life right now? Where are you right now? Because if you know how great God's love is, if you've accepted that love and you have the Holy Spirit within you, you already know all the basic stuff about salvation. We are so well educated about Jesus Christ. You know your Bible so well. If you really have this love of God, then are you showing that love to other people? And if not, then really think and examine why aren't you doing this? What does God want you to do? What is he calling you to do? He's calling us all to give up our lives, to be willing to serve wherever he sends you. He doesn't want us to live a comfortable life. He might want us to have all the blessings that he can give us, but that wasn't what he said in the Bible. He said, go and follow me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Be willing to do that. He wants you. He's sending you. He's moulding and shaping you for his purpose. We all have a unique call in our lives and we are all important. We all have a part to play and it's different. You won't all be preachers, you won't all be um, pastors or teachers or whatever, but it, it doesn't matter because you all have an important part to play and just by you living your life and showing love to people, you will shine the light of Jesus. And so that's the challenge. The hardest thing of all about being a Christian, being humble, and being so humble that you shine that light, the light of Jesus, to the whole world. So, um, after this, I'm, I'm very happy to talk to anyone. 
and so is Phil and Jono. We're all here to talk to you. So is Mark. If you want to join a missionary society, go for it. But wherever you are, just think about the fact that God loves you and he just wants you to transform yourselves into his image, to be transformed, rather, into his image. So thank you very much. Okay, well, um, pray. Yeah, sure. Just bow our heads and pray. Lord God, you are great and you created all things. Lord and Father, nothing is here but what you made. And Lord God, I just acknowledge that you've made us who we are. But Lord God, you have a great plan. You just want us to be willing to give our lives to you so that we can be shaped according to your purpose. And I pray that we can be humble that we could live for you and not for ourselves, that we could understand that the love that we've received is the love that we're to show to the whole world and help us to do that. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that we don't do this on our own strength. I thank you so much for the fantastic blessings that you have given us here in Australia. But I pray that we could be so generous as to give it all away. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks so much, Paul. Um, hmm. What do we do? Uh, there's so much there for us to be uh, responding to. Uh, and so, and uh, I just want to say that many of us already are shining a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like we are seeking to shine uh, and to love those people around us. So it's to shine more and to really look around your life right now when what, where is God saying, this is where I'm taking you. The whole surrender thing, just vital. But where, where's the next step, God? Like, where, is, where are you taking me? And Because I, I guarantee you if, you, if you are surrendered, then there's stuff that God's just kind of trying to speak into you to kind of, kind of take those steps, take those small steps um, to really loving people more. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks so much for that challenge. I hope we're all just really shaken up by that and moved to action, mate. Uh, when you came in, there was, uh, you would have got a response card and... Um, and it might be that now you just really want to talk to someone about it or you want um, some prayer. Um, you know, we have prayer at the end of the service, but we also have like a space for writing down comments and prayer requests at the bottom of the reverse side of that. And you might be going, oh, I just want prayer so that I'd actually be a little bit disturbed, more disturbed by this, you know, so I would be able to do this. Or please pray for me uh, that God would lead me where I should go. You know, like we have guys praying on Wednesday morning and just every request that gets written down here we've got a team of passionate prayers who are just seeking God's uh, will and just seeking God to answer these prayers so if you want just more than you praying for it and you want the family praying for it then then write it down there if you're a newcomer it'd be great to uh, know that you were here tonight and uh, that would be fantastic but let's um it's also our time of offering so let me want to pray for that the offering um, as we continue Oh, Father God, we want to thank you so much. And, and right now, Lord, we, uh, you've just prompted our hearts, Lord, and you've stirred us by your Spirit as we've been hearing from your Word. And we pray now, Lord, as we come to the offering, we just say, oh, Lord, use this to build your kingdom. Uh, use this, Lord, that uh, hearts and minds may be changed, uh, that people may come to salvation. Father God, that uh, injustice in the world uh, might be just corrected, Lord, little bit by little bit. And Father, we just ask that you would use this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll have a few moments to fill in the cards, and then maybe in a couple of minutes the 
the offering uh, buckets will be coming out. Put your blue cards in when it does. Thanks.